So in the Battle of the Beautifuls between the two ladybird male romantic <laughs> leads, you're going beautiful boy. Yep, I'm going Chalamet. I'm getting oh the Battle of the Boys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going boy erased, just by a hair, just yeah, by a hair. Yeah. I don't know. It, Your revelation, won't you liberate me now from a holy Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is review number 527 with a review of Boy Erased. I'm Christopher Schneezy. I'm Stephen Miller, and I am using the sin of podcasting to try to fill a God-shaped void in my life. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week in the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest film releases coming to a theater near you. Uh, this week, we are talking about the film Boy Erased. Um... It is maybe or maybe not still in limited release, but uh, you should mm. be able to see it soon um, yeah. if you can't already catch it now. Um, but yeah, so as we stated in the last episode that you may have heard, um, we are recording a big batch of episodes that are going to be kind of run out over the next uh, couple weeks. Yeah. Um, this week, next two weeks, something. We're going to be doing a lot of traveling, so the schedule will get pretty crazy, but we're going to do our best to bring you as many episodes as we can. Um to uh, not let you guys hang it around as we approach the big, crazy end-of-year schedule that will be coming in the next few months. I, I feel like this year is going to be even worse than most in that regard. I feel like so many things are just now coming out or will yeah. come out in the next month. I have no idea how to catch them. And, like, Netflix is upping its game. Like, other people are also putting out movies, so it's just yeah. getting more and more difficult. It will be rough, and with all the traveling we're doing, it'll be rougher than usual, but... We are committed to trying to bring you something. <laughs> yep. And then at the end of everything, we're going to bring a, uh, bring you a big end of year recap episode, uh, which, I mean, it'll be crazy. This, I think this will be the first year. Yeah, this is the first year that we've been to a film festival or a couple film festivals mm -hmm. uh, during the time that it was running. Um, our top 10 lists are going to be crazy. We haven't even figured out the parameters yet. Like yeah. if we're going to need it to officially have come out for us to include it or if we're just going to include film festival releases too. Yeah, because there are definitely things that I think we were both huge fans of that yeah. are not even existing yet in this year. Um, yeah. I don't even know if they're scheduled to come out. but They uh, might never come out, so yeah. might as well talk about them. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we are here to talk about Boy Erased. Um, I think this will maybe be a more serious and less fun and exciting episode mm -hmm. than the Overlord episode, which is already in your feed somewhere. Um, but right, Don't uh, let my intro fool you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is this is a serious film. We're probably going to do some relating of it to films that we did see at the festival that we kind of just offhandedly mentioned a few moments ago. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, so we're going to get started. We're going to take a listen to the trailer for Boy Erased, and then we're going to come back and uh, give you a review. Jared. I want you to do well. I want you to have a great life. I love you, but we cannot see a way that you can live under this roof if you're going to fundamentally go against the grain of our beliefs. Jared, tell me the truth. That's all. I think about men. I don't know why. And I'm so sorry. Your parents signed you up for a program to fix you, but Jared, you are a perfectly normal, very healthy teenage boy. They're gonna do things for you. Your revelation. You want to say goodbye? 
to the refuge program. You cannot be born a homosexual. This is a lie. It's a choice. Go. Fake it till you make it. Become the man you are not. Save yourself. Jared, God will not love you the way that you are. Is this what you want? Who's going to strike this demon down? Hit it! I'm having a tough time. I'm going to give you some advice. Tell them whatever they want to hear. Play the part. Unless you really think you can change. Or even want to. What you're going through right now is just a moment. A moment. Yeah. A moment. I love God and I love my son. For your father, it's a little more complicated. We are not finished. I am because you won't listen. Your father is sitting here. Tell him how you hate him. I'm not going to pretend I hate my father. I don't hate my father. Then where is all this anger coming? Because you're making me angry. Open the door now. They say sometimes you got to hurt a child in order to help them, but a mother knows when something isn't right. I don't want to pretend anymore. I've had to ask myself and God if I'm ready to lose you. Your revelation won't you liberate All right, so that was the trailer for Boy Erased. It's about a young man who is sort of dealing with these feelings that he has inside of himself and uh, kind of questioning who he is. And uh, due to some events that happen, he is sort of outed in a way to his parents, um, one of which is a pastor at a church. And they send him to uh, conversion therapy or school or camp or whatever you want to call it. Um, And this is kind of the story of his time there and uh, how that shaped who he is. Uh, Stephen Miller, what did you think of Boy Erased? Um, I thought this was a pretty beautiful movie, actually. It it very much exceeded my expectations. Um, (laughs) So when the trailer first started playing, there were a few key takeaways I had. One... uh, I've already seen this movie this year. It was called The Miseducation of Cameron Post. Uh, two, I'm excited for Fat Russell Crowe. <laughs> <laughs> and three, this just feels like it's trying to make me feel really sympathetic for like a character that, at least from the trailer, I thought, okay, this is just going to be another gay coming-of-age story that's going to be like woe is the poor white kid who had to learn who he is, you know? And yeah. it's not that those stories aren't important, you know? Like, we we liked Love, Simon. Uh, you liked Alex Strangelove more than I did. Like, we obviously have a soft <laughs> spot for yeah. these kind of narratives, but it just kind of felt like this is playing up the melodrama in a way that, like, of the other melodramatic movies, I just didn't think it was going to earn it, necessarily. Um, and I have to say, like, watching this movie, it was so much... It was so much more personal than I expected. Um, there's a contradictory thing that I feel because with Miseducation of a Cameron Post, we both criticized it as it seems like it doesn't get religion right, and it isn't even clear that it gets conversion camps right. Like it, it, it had these things that just felt weird or like didn't feel accurate just to our, you know, neither of us have had direct experience with uh, yeah. conversion camps or anything like that. Like among other things, I think they have mostly ceased to exist by the time we came around um <laughs> so like no we have no one no one we know has had a direct experience with yeah. a conversion camp but 
we do have plenty of experience with like religion and with religious people and with like intolerance towards LGBTQ people and all of this. Like it was something that at least I definitely grew up with and believing for a good extent. Um, And somehow this movie is both more wildly dramatic, more heightened in its depiction of religion and in the wrongs of these camps. And it felt more authentic at the same time. Yeah. I don't know how to explain that. Like, I had forgotten while watching it that it was based on a true story. So this was genuinely just like how the movie felt to me when I was watching it. I feel like um, uh, uh, Joel Edgerton, his character as the leader of this group, was like very heightened, had a lot of flaws. And I a thousand percent believe that person exists. Yeah. Like I believe that guy is out there. I believe he thinks somehow that he's doing the right thing. I think he's surrounded himself with people that have other motives, but he's still blinded himself to like the need to masculinize these kids, you know, the need to get them straight. Um, I believe Lucas Hedges' character, he he's going through a moral dilemma, which is also like Cameron Post, not like as heightened an internal struggle as I would have maybe, quote, wanted if I were just picking this narrative from scratch. You know, it it kind of feels like he's someone who he knows what is true about himself and he fights it a bit and he gets to a point not too late in the movie where he's not fighting anymore. Um, but again, it, it just felt so true. Like, it, it just felt accurate to me. And I think it it wasn't using anything cheaply in my mind. I thought it was telling this story with grace and... It was moving in a kind of ex-church kid way. Like the music to me felt like worship music that I listened to when I was a kid. (laughs) It really brought me into that feeling of like, I am 18 or 19 and like, I am feeling all these things so strongly for the first time, you know? Um, And yeah, I just think it's really well done. Uh, Russell Crowe doesn't get a whole lot to do, but the scenes where he shines, like they got me, they got me real good. Um, I do think the Nicole Kidman character, if there's one person who felt unrealistically good, it was her in this movie. She kind of gets a few, like, big applause moments that felt like the movie didn't really need them. That That's kind of like a true story bleeding in the other direction, where it's, like, honoring people a little bit more directly than maybe it needed to. But I, I, I mean, I, I would kind of push back on that a little bit, um, just because I think that um, in the dynamic of this period of time and those archetypes of characters of people who like when you are married to a pastor at a church they inherently have an authority if you believe in what they are the pastor of right um that you kind of don't really have a say i mean you're you're sort of you're sort of um unfortunately you're you're kind of just literally under their wing and under their rule all the time. And you don't really have a way to question and stand up for yourself because there's, they, they have the moral high ground literally in your view. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that because the journey she goes on causes her to feel like she needs to make moves for her son, that it it's, I, I think that, the thing she's saying may sound like the film trying to give you that applause moments, but there are huge moves for that character mm-hmm. within universe, so to speak. True. And I, I think that like the type of movie that we're watching makes that feel overly sentimental, but it's still a huge moment for those characters, and it means immense things to um, to the the kid, right? Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that I, I think that. 
that same moment in any other film would feel earned and that strong. It's just because we're in this type of film and it's Nicole Kidman right. that you question the validity of, of, of that choice, right? Sure, it's true. And um, again, I, I don't even really question the honesty of it. It's just that that beat does come across as a little sentimental. And maybe that that's, again, just the story that it's telling. So it isn't even yeah, really a yeah. critique. It's just that that was one of the few moments where I was brought out of the movie a little bit. And I felt like, okay, this... Especially because we're in San Francisco, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. so even more so than most metropolitan areas, like the applause moment there is quite big. Like the crowd definitely hooted and cheered and like yeah, yeah, yeah. got very excited about it. Um, and th- th- just in general, when a movie has that, when it like pushes the message so directly that I just always recoil like just a little bit from that. Um, but like, I, I don't know, even still, like, this is a very theme-heavy movie. It's a very message-heavy movie. We yeah. know where it stands from the beginning. There's no questioning who is right and who is wrong, nor should there be. But I just think it it plays with the family dynamics in a way that makes it way more real. Like, I can imagine the struggle of the pastor dad and how this kid wants to meet his father's expectations, and he doesn't even know who he is. He doesn't know who he, where he fits in this world. There's a a great scene in this movie where he meets another uh, kid, probably like a little older college student. I couldn't really figure out the timeline uh, named Xavier. And they kind of talk about, they talk about God and life in the way that <laughs> I really people... hate that his name was Xavier. I feel like it, it, he's supposed to be like this, the this, savior character. Yeah. Yeah. The savior character. And it just, that, that kind of took me out a little bit. I was like, mm-hmm. come on, this sounds like a, a naming in like a, a, like a more cheeky movie. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Um, but anyway, they they just have this conversation about like religion and the world and where they fit in it. That is like exactly the sort of thing that when you're 18, in a way, for the first time, like you're going to have a drink and have this conversation. It's going to be the most meaningful thing in the world. And like maybe with 10, 15 years removed, like it's a little cheesy. But in that moment, that was everything, right? That was you opening up for the first time. And I think yeah. in the context of like a coming of age or coming of adulthood film i think this just lands all of those emotions really well and everything from the soundtrack to the drama of the film to the very very clear message of the movie i I just thought it all worked well it was it was a movie that i was glad that i watched and i feel like it it does its message proud it definitely does what it set out to do yeah um, I, I have I have sort of mixed feelings about this film. Um, I I agree with mostly everything you said. Um, I what I what I love about this film, especially when you compare it to something like The Miseducation of Cameron Post, uh, it, when 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 complaining about The Miseducation of Cameron Post, one of the things I really disliked is there was never a moment in that film at all where uh, Chloe Grace Moretz right was miseducated. It, 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 yeah, she's she's never miseducated. She's not confused about like why she's there. She's like, oh, I'm here because my parents sent me. She never once is really participating. She's just sort of showing up and being like, this place is weird, right? Like, there's never a sense of dread within her as to who she is. And her biggest confusing moment involves a character who is not her, right? (laughs) And I think that in that film, it just got so much wrong. And what I love about this film is this is a boy who, he wants the conversion therapy to work. Like, Mm -hmm. he already feels conflicted himself and he, he's sad about the way he feels. And it's a struggle for him, not because his family sent him there, but because he thinks they were well-intentioned and he mm-hmm. doesn't know how to how to counter that himself. And it's a story about him slowly coming to realize that there is nothing wrong with him and that he doesn't need to be there. And yes, these people are crazy. Yeah. Like 
in in Cameron Post, she she arrives and goes, "This place is fucking weird." And then all the other characters are like, "Yeah, this place is fucking weird, right?" And it's just a story of these people at some camp with a fucking weird counselor who, yeah, yeah, like, and with with him, like, he knows they're a little bit dumb and hokey. But when you grow up like a church kid, there's lots of hokey things that you yeah, still yeah. are like, "This is still genuinely good." And like, yeah, they made typos, and the pastor's a little bit of goofball, but like, the message is still right. And so he kind of has that from the beginning, where he's like. I feel like this is cheesy, but I'm going to try it. And then watching cheesy, but I'm going to try it morph into, oh, this is evil. Like, yeah, that's yeah. the arc. Rather than, like, this is dumb, and it's always just dumb, and that's where we're going to leave it. Yeah, and, and, and it's and it's not, I need to get out of here, let me hop in the back of a truck. This is, like, this is a problem, and I need to get away from here and also carry this book with me so other people can see how fucking crazy this place is, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like the reason why this story has the authenticity that it does is because in the real life, he did take this manual from the school and shared that manual with people and showed how really fucking crazy yeah. these places are and how scary they are and what those people are trying to do. And I, I think all of that is really, really powerful. I was really drawn into this film. I was completely sucked in. I was there for the whole journey of the character. I wanted him to say the things that he couldn't say in some moments to challenge the people that he was interacting with. And I think really I was ripped out of this film when it makes the jump forward in time mm. to modern day where he's writing the story that we're watching, essentially. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is a disconnect for me of where he – like, I yes – when he first is admitted to the camp, they rip pages out of his journal so we know he's a writer. But like jumping forward to the fi- the future where he's writing like a New York Times piece or whatever mm-hmm. is going on, like I just – I didn't get that his experience for 12 days in this place equaled the op-ed that he was writing. Like mm-hmm. I, I – obviously in real life, <laughs> there was something that was written. But I, I feel like there's a disconnect between the journey he personally is going on and the – telling of the world that journey. And I think that there is logical steps that can, there are logical steps that can be made in between when he got away and when he wrote the thing. But I feel like there is, I have this book, I need to do research, and now I need to tell the world. It was less about this is what I experience and this is what people are experiencing. And the film makes it feel like it's a, this is what I did to get out of here. Mm -hmm. And that's not the story that was told. It was like, these places are fucking evil and we need to stop them. And the film doesn't do a good job of making that connection. It just goes, and then he wrote a thing. Look where we are. And I kind of, that that sort of upset me in a way, just because I, I was just ripped out of the journey and then transported to a place that I didn't feel was earned logically with the narrative that I watched. Um, I also have some questions, and I'm trying to like figure out how to phrase this correctly. Mm-hmm. But like, the father is clearly ignorant, and sure. he in a very believable sort of ignorance. He, he's, he's especially believ- for like an Arkansas Baptist pastor. Yeah, yeah. But so, so I'm 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 trying to yep. build up my point here so that I can try to say everything so that people would get what I'm saying and not what I'm go- the words I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. But the father doesn't understand homosexuality and believes that you're like there is no such thing as homosexuality. There is just sinful actions that you take. Mm-hmm. The son has not taken sinful actions. Right. It is purely him feeling that he thinks about men. His uh, the, same-sex attraction. Yeah, it's the same-sex attraction. The thing his father is worried about is acting on those things. He has not acted on anything. 
he has a clear and obvious reason to not have to go to this place because the thing that the father is sending him there there is for something he interprets as just being actions which the son has not actually participated in there is something that brings up the fact that he has these thoughts and the father interprets a lot from that and makes decisions based on that Mm -hmm. and there are plenty of opportunities for the character to just say like I just, I'm just attracted to men. I like, I used to date a girl. You knew her. You invited her to the house last week. Like Mm -hmm. there, there's, it's not like the father, like in, in Cameron post, the parents walk in on her with another girl. This isn't a, I know you are doing things and thus I will send you here. It is simply this other thing. Somebody told me (laughs) that you were gay. So I'm sending you here. And it just, it feels weird that like, there's one scene where they start to have this conversation where he's reading from a, a thing of the things that he feels guilty about, and nobody believes that that's all he feels guilty about. But it's like, why is this the first time you're having that conversation? Like, because for him, that is huge. Mm-hmm. He feels guilty about nothing, right. absolutely nothing. But he was taught that those feelings are wrong, and even though they're only feelings, he's struggling with that as a person. Mm-hmm. And everyone else is treating him like the only problem is your actions. And he has taken zero actions. And I, I thought that it was just weird that nobody talked about this. And he never tried to defend himself in a way. And the film doesn't deal with the fact that, like, the people who are against him don't even think that he is anything. The whole point of conversion therapy is that if you don't do anything that they consider, like, a homosexual action, then you're not a homosexual. Right? I, like, see, I, so I, I don't know about that. Like, I don't know that the film does a good job of communicating it, but they definitely consider, quote, SSAs to be sinful behavior. Like, it's one of the things in their family tree alongside, like, pornography and gambling and prison and all the other things that can be, quote, wrong with a person. But, but, but I think And that, I think people do go to conversion therapy in this film and otherwise to change that, quote, sinful attraction in their head, right? To get at the root of it and make it go away. It becomes a kind of, like, electroshop therapy for the brain of, like, I'm going to try to take away the sinful thing that is a sinful thought that I have. But but I would argue that that is them treating the symptom... Like, I, I, it, it's like, it's like uh, when they're teaching you not to stand in an effeminate way in, in that school. Um, it's not that standing effeminately... <laughs> makes you gay it's that they're worried that you will i, I mean no, I, I, well i think I, they I, call it fake it till you make it right yeah yeah that's so, their method so, so, act so, act dress for the sexuality you want not the sexuality you have right <laughs> yeah yeah but so so that but that's my point that is that like all they're trying to do is eliminate all the things that add up to what they think you will do with your actions mm. um and it's not that they're thinking that those things make you one way it's that the, those things limit your ability to maintain your masculinity in a way like i mm. there was there was just there was there was a disconnect between because their whole argument is that it's not who you are it's what you're choosing to do and if you don't do anything then by their own definition you have passed their test right <laughs> like like i just don't so i think there's two different groups in this movie there are the Russell Crowe and the pastors, there's their group who have a kind of prayer circle and bring him into this camp. Their beliefs almost definitely are that same-sex attraction is also a, quote, sin, because they are praying over him, 
they're talking about the feelings that he has, and he asks, would you like to, do you want to change? He gives him an ultimatum. And that ultimatum is not about an action that he will or will not take in the future. It's, you currently have this, quote, sin, do you want to change? So I think that's how, like, his dad sees this. His dad also doesn't believe him about this past event that maybe we should do, like, Maybe it's we shouldn't do a spoiler for it. That that event is like a very kind of jarring, surprising moment in the in the film, and I think it it plays it the way it would have happened. So again, I'm not criticizing it, but that that was a moment that like really pushed me into the like, oh, this is a different movie than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, camp. Um, but anyway, he the father definitely misinterprets that and probably believes there are lies around it. But I still think he sends him to the camp to change his quote, sinful attraction, which is not the universal way that fundamentalist Christians see this. Like, by the time I was going to church, at least the line was like, people might have those attractions and they are just going to stay, you know, uh, stay single forever, right? And that is their cross to bear and that is the end of it. But that is definitely not like universal among churches. Like some of them, probably the Southern people would say it's the devil in your kid, you know, it's like the sinful nature. Yeah, The place that he sends him to I think as a baseline, they believe those attractions are wrong, but the kooky methods they have created require them heightening everything. It has to be, oh, you hate your father, and you want to do this, and you're so wicked, and you're so evil, and they're kind of like hammering the total depravity side into you, that like by the time he is giving his confession, and his confession is like, this is the only wrong thing I've done, and I yeah. like feel guilty about it, Um Joel Edgerton has this kind of screaming match because his thought is like, that can't be all it is. It's a sin. It must have destroyed you. It must have made you do all these other things too. And I, yeah. I think that says more about like his fucked up methodology and his belief about how the world works than it is with like their definition of sin or not sin yeah. or homosexual and not homosexual. So to me, that all made it made sense, and maybe it's just because I've met people who had those definitions. So like, but, but, I kind of perceived those through whatever the characters were saying. It, it made sense, but that literally that conversation is what topples the whole system, right? Mm. So I, I I feel like because that conversation was always there, all you had to do was speak your mind, kid. Uh, then like it it just felt like it it felt like the context of way this story was written to be told felt like the character himself was withholding information because he thought everybody else had the right idea. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until he finally got in a situation where he's like, I've been beating myself up over nothing. (laughs) Like you're telling me that this doesn't count. And, and I, I, it just, it, something about that construct kind of bugged me in a way. Um, and it, it didn't it didn't lessen the experience of the movie as a whole. It just kind of took me out for a second. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, like, yeah, just like I get that it's it's hard. But according to their own definition, you passed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that just isn't how I how I read those conversations. I do see that as uh, Lucas Hedges' character is kind of awakening he's learning to push back i don't feel like that is a moment when he decides there is nothing wrong about who i am i think maybe characters have conversations like that and i just kind of brush them aside as like movie moments i feel like that character after 12 days still doesn't know he has a lot of fucking baggage to work through still before he is comfortable in his own skin and what that conversation is basically 
I don't have the answers, but you sure as hell don't have the answers. Get me out of here. Yeah. You know, and, and I kind of feel like that is what that outburst is, is uh, your methods are wrong and your grand theories are ridiculous and you are heightening everything to justify beating the crap out of people and doing these terrible things. And yeah, I mean, he, I'm going to yell at that, you know. So he, he hasn't cured himself of his worries, but he definitely knows he needs to <laughs> Yeah, he knows, he knows he needs to leave. And I think that lingering of I need to get out of there has been there for a long time and it's because he's a smart kid you know like he yeah. he's like the son of a pastor he's heard all these verses before like he knows how this works for the most part and like nothing that people do in the camp has the ring of like these guys know what they're talking about yeah yeah, yeah. so i i think it, it's an interesting journey it, it's probably one that i like project a lot into <laughs> but it definitely feels like a journey of someone it is, of course, primarily about, uh, you know, sexuality and coming to terms with your sexuality and breaking free from people that would tell you you have to change because you don't. Um, but I also think it works just as an idea of, like, that moment when people are starting to, like, come of age and grapple with, like, the things they've learned and the course that they thought their life was going to be. What do you do when that all comes crumbling down, right? Like, yeah. how do you carve a new path when you have no idea what to do and all you have is this, like, instinct that what you're being told isn't fully correct? Uh, so I think this – I think it definitely works on multiple levels. Um, I do think, though, that it does an interesting thing in its treatment of religion because, like, maybe not the Joel Edgerton character – I'll say every character, including the Joel Edgerton character, mostly has a, quote, redemption. Joel Edgerton's is an epilogue, textual one of, like, I, it's I not mean, a redemption. That's why I'm putting in quotes. I think it's redemption. It's not a redemption, but it is saying, like, hey, like, this guy worked through a lot of random shit as well. Yeah. Like, like it, it, isn't, it isn't redeeming him. It, humanizing. Humanizing is the yeah. word I want to say. They have a humanizing arc. Um I think, like, the relationship between um, the the character and his dad, Russell Crowe, is a really interesting one because from Russell Crowe's perspective as this, like, you know, stubborn, strong Baptist man, he <laughs> he's a car dealership owner and he owns – and he's, like, a pastor of a church and he's preaching. And, and we know that car dealership owners can have some – big influence on a person's life as we'll discuss yes in a future film. this is true this is true um yeah so <laughs> well played so he um he basically is grappling with this problem of like i believe what i believe i've been preaching it forever my view of the world is like completely inflexible and i don't want to hate my son and I think, like, this movie does a really interesting way. If it doesn't paint him in a good light, like, that stubbornness is not good. And the degree to which he's willing to, like, sacrifice his son to that is bad. But it's very human. And I feel like the movie is kind of a loving portrait of a father and son who eventually reconcile. I I, I don't know the degree to which they do. Just the the way the, the credit scene at least goes, it hints that like reconciliation did eventually happen with his family. And maybe that's like a tepid one where they don't agree on anything still. And they've just like learned how to love each other anyway. Yeah. Um, but I just think that whole arc again, because it's coming from a true story, it just has that ring of truth that like, I feel like a fiction wouldn't get that right in the fiction. Everyone would be either Nicole Kidman or Joel Edgerton. Either they're going to be like, I accept you. A mother always knows, or they're going to be like, you know, rabble, rabble, rabble. I'm like, I know what I believe. Stealing hamburgers? Yeah. 
spirit, the spirit of Christ compels you, you know, like those extremes. And I think that that middle ground of like the way most people feel with like if their parents are Trump supporters, if their parents are all sorts of things where it's like, I don't agree with you and I don't like what you think, but I want to love you anyway, you know? And yeah. I, I think this movie is like a lot about that middle ground. And I thought that was that was really interesting. Yeah, that stuff was handled pretty well. Um so the one sin that this film commits, the the most egregious sin, is this perfect moment that is wasted in the film, which mm. made me so sad that they didn't go for it. And so we we talked a little bit about like this the the uh, the conversion camp is like doing this thing where they're teaching you how to stand in a more masculine way, right? The thing is, you have to stand in Superman pose. You can't stand with like your hands. Your fingers have to be in front of your hips, not behind your hips in this effeminate yeah. way. Um, and there's this moment as things are kind of coming to a head where they have the – there's this fight between uh, – this this uh, butting of heads, I should say, not a fight, uh, between Joel Edgerton and Lucas Hedges and – as Lucas Hedges is storming off after they've had this confrontation where he said all the big things to him, um, Joel Edgerton is kind of at his wit's end. And like as he's like holding his head, he sits and sets his ah. hands on his hip with both of his fingers behind his hips. And I thought for sure uh, Lucas Hedges was going to be like, oh, put your hands like this. It's more masculine. And he doesn't fucking say the line. And it's like, you've just owned this guy. Do you think so- that scene was still intentional, though? Do you think it was meant for you to get that little, like, gratification? Maybe it's there to subliminally suggest things. But, mm-hmm. but I mean, like, it's... It's, it's way more it, subliminal than uh, <laughs> I, uh, Gallagher's mustache. <laughs> I mean, they have pretty similar mustaches. <laughs> um, That's true. That's but, true. But, but anyway, my... <laughs> but anyways, but I, I just mean it was this is this perfect moment where you already have the moral high ground. You can now shove it in somebody's face, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just, I, I, it made me so sad that he did. Like as soon as that scene happens, I'm like, the hands, say the hands, say the hands, and he just didn't do it. And I was like. Mm-hmm. This movie, she's so close to nailing it. It would have been so impactful in that moment, too. I, I do want to say, uh, so this is the second Joel Edgerton movie that I've seen, to my understanding. <laughs> maybe maybe I've seen another that was just on the sly directed by him. Um, but between this and The Gift, I think like he is definitely a very strong actor-turned-director. Like He's definitely favoring actors still, which is kind of common for people who do this. We'll probably talk about that again in a future movie. <laughs> um, but but like i i think this feels like a very well crafted movie i think it flows very nicely it has good moments where it kind of lets you sink in the ambience and just like enjoy the soundtrack uh, yonzi and troy savan who is like singing the soundtrack who's also the blonde character in the conversion camp um i like like I, it has like a good balance of mood moments and moments that are just meant to like progress the story and give a window into characters and like you you nitpick the epilogue, and I, I kind of agree, like, that leap is a little too tidy. It doesn't show you quite enough. But I think it is so worth it just for the family dynamic it pulls you back into immediately. Yeah. I think those scenes are just wonderfully done. And I I really like the pacing of this movie. I think it it is interesting that I kind of criticized Beautiful Boy for jumping back and forth in time in ways that made me not always know where I was or, like, why it was doing it in that order. I have no idea why this is different for me, but this also jumps in time, and I felt totally happy with the fact that it was doing it. Maybe it's just because it was a more, like, 
one character taking stock of his own life and I can follow that emotional journey easier than I can follow like a father jumping back in time. I, yeah, yeah. I have no answer, but for some reason it worked really well on me this time and I'm going to give Joel Edgerton props for that. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, well, speaking of giving him props, how about we get to verdicts for this film? Sure. All right, Stephen Miller, if you're going to give this a must-see, recommend with a caveat, wait for rental, pass with a caveat, or a must-avoid, what would you give it? I've been teetering between recommend and must-see. I'm going to say must-see. I've been too positive on the movie in this <laughs> review to not do that. I think I don't think this stands among like the best films I've seen this year. It is definitely very, very message-heavy, like other movies that we're going to talk about tonight. <laughs> um, but I think that message is a very personal one. It's a personal one crafted by someone who has lived in this world, who is trying to be an advocate for something. And I think as an act of advocacy, this movie just does a really good job. And it still ties in the personal dynamic in a way that isn't vilifying people. It isn't caricaturizing them. I think it gets the religion right. I think it gets self-questioning right. And it just, it does a lot of things right without ever being like a PSA, even though it is very direct in its themes and its allegiances so worth checking out definitely beautiful movie even if it isn't like the most subtle of the year yeah uh, i'm gonna give it a reckon with a caveat um i think this film is on the whole like mostly incredibly great um i think there's just some things that make it a complicated uh review for me in just following its narrative threads and kind of how it chooses to like quantify this few day experience as being something that is um a journey larger than just this journey that he went on um and like that i struggle with kind of what it's doing with that narratively um but i think that the moments of him there and how he interacts with his family and how he views his own experiences is all terrific and i would almost give it a must see but it's just like there are some things that just kind of brought me back from it in a way that I didn't have with a beautiful boy. Um, even though they're completely different subject matters, I just, mm -hmm. that film was just like pulled me in in amazingly. And then this film was like so much of it I was in. And then I would just dip out for a second and be like, wait, where am I? Oh, oh yeah. Okay, cool. Well, let's, let me get dive back in for a second. And I think that it, it could have been up there and it just little things pulled it out for me. So in the battle of the beautifuls between the two ladybird male romantic <laughs> leads, you're going beautiful boy. Yep, I'm going Chalamet. I'm getting oh the battle of the boys. <laughs> I'm, I'm going boy erased, just by a hair, just by yeah, a hair. Yeah. I don't know. It, beautiful boy is doing a more complicated, difficult thing. I, yeah, yeah. It's not really fair for me to pit them against each other. Yeah, yeah. And, but, but, I mean, it's. <sighs> Beautiful Boy is doing that complicated thing for two separate characters, mm -hmm. and this film is only doing it for the one character. Right. And it's like if if Beautiful Boy was just Timothy Chalamet's experience and none of the father's experience, I would probably feel exactly the same about it. Mm -hmm. um, but it sort of doubled up on the things that will speak to me. Yeah. And it, it was like every time that it would have dipped me out... I was dipped into somebody else, and I was just kind of like, oh, shit, I love this movie. Um, and also, no offense to Lucas Hedges, I think he does a great job in this movie, but Chalamet wears it better. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, well, I think that's going to do it for this review of Boy Erased. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> All this talk of boys, I was confused which film we were talking about again. Stephen Miller, if people want to find you throughout the week, where is it that they may do that? Uh, they can go to... Twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. 
People can find me at ChristopherInRealLife.com or Twitter.com slash ChristopherIRL. You can find the podcast over at TheSpoilerWarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, you can do so on Overcast, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. If you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at Twitter.com slash SpoilerWarning or like us at Facebook.com slash TheSpoilerWarning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at TheSpoilerWarning.com or you can use the contact form on our site. Music for this episode will come from the soundtrack to Boy Erase, so hopefully you're enjoying that and also one last recommend uh the radio lab people are doing a podcast series in conjunction with this film called unerased i recommend that you also check that out for more uh backstory of the you know true things surrounding this case um mm. case this story <laughs> like everything's a fucking dun, true crime dun, thing dun, dun. <laughs> um but yeah there it is we're gonna take off and we will see y'all in the next review bye